You're listening to the oneofus.net podcast network. One of Us is a podcast and video network funded all but entirely by donations and subscriptions. We do accept pitches for audio-based or banner ads, but on a case-by-case basis. If you're interested in that, contact us at oneofusnet at gmail.com. With the amount of audio and video content we generate, it is expensive and extremely time-consuming to keep things running. Please go to the webpage oneofus.net and sign up for a subscription at 2 5 10 or $25 and get a ton of bonus content. One of us needs and appreciates all your support. Hello! This is Bradley Martin with the Screener Squad, and we're reviewing a miniseries from FX slash Hulu... Pistol, six-episode miniseries from Danny Boyle, starring the Sex Pistols. This is not a documentary series. It is a fictional retelling, an adaptation of a novel about the Six Pistols, Sex Pistols, called Lonely Boy. It's a memoir, not a novel. Fact-checking live, just for you. Memoir. A memoir. As I said, I'm Bradley Martin, and I'll be reviewing this miniseries with a man who always knows who the Prime Minister is in England. Uh, Marco's with us. It's it's Johnson, right? Right. It's, currently, it's Johnson. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't have my notes. Currently, it's Johnson. I, I don't know. As of this morning, I thought he was going to be voted out or something, but apparently he, uh, he passed the uh, vote of no confidence. So, hey, you know. That would make the Six Pistols happy knowing that a Tory is still leading the government. (laughs) We are so topical. So topical. He doesn't know how to play bass, but that'll never stop him from pursuing his dreams. Frank is with us. That is not my dream, FYI, people. Like, honestly, no offense to bass players, but I'm going to reach a little higher than that. She's with us as well and has a much more beautiful, shining smile than Johnny Rotten. (laughs) Melina is with us. That is a very low bar. <laughs> Don't smile, Johnny Rotten. <laughs> I do sometimes get that wide, that wild-eyed stare, especially when someone uh, insults Freddie Mercury, which they do, the Sex Pistols definitely do a couple yeah, of times. Why do you know people that would do that? Well, the Sex Pistols kind of hated everybody. That, that was, was their, their whole shtick. That was their thing. Anti-establishment. It's like you think they hated Queen. Whoa, they really hated all the prog rockers. Uh, don't get, God help you if you were in yes. Don't get started on the Beatles. I, mean, I know they're not rockers, but don't get Beatles. started on the Beatles. Two most recognizable actors, at least from me, because I watched Game of Thrones, was Thomas Brody Sangster as Malkin McLaren, the self-appointed manager of the Sex Pistols, and Maisie Williams as Jordan. A representation of the rebellion going on towards the bourgeoisie at the time, or uh, do we, uh, does anybody here know if Jordan is actually based on a real person? She was a real person. Oh, she is. She's she's credited. That's incredible. For, yeah, she's credited for actually inventing the British punk look. Like she herself. That's amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And boy, when you lot. see her, you know. There are a lot of real people. <laughs> I mean, well, actors playing real people that aren't always identified on screen, or you just hear an offhanded remark, but even I do appreciate that, that level of like, well, we knew they had these people that were in their circle. Uh, 
the Bromley contingent is well represented, and you're like, oh, that Steve Severin, that's Susie I might Sue. I prefer that to something like, yeah. um, like there are some shows that will just have like when someone enters a room, they'll have like a, like, it'll stop and there'll be like an arrow with someone's name pointing right. at them. Like I was like, no, just yeah. just let them be themselves. You know, just don't do. I don't need to do. I don't need you to do that. Yeah, I love that here though because it establishes that all of these people, these are not. I mean, all of these people more or less became legendary over the course of their lives, but you're kind of seeing them at a very early stage. None of them were the people that they were. They were all just young kids. You know, they were working out of a store. They were living at home, just kind of dealing with the shit that was the early 1970s in England. Westwood. I love seeing Vivian Westwood and seeing like her sensibilities as a, as an artist um sort of like mm-hmm. continue and just well like those were i know this is about the sex pistols but like it was still like i thought her scenes were just so stand out and um because i always thought of her as just like this really you know really like you know a sort of avant-garde designer i did not know that she was rooted in that much of a of a statement political statement yeah i didn't either yeah I mean, yeah, that, we, me and my wifey read about her first when this concluded. Uh, Tallulah Riley is the actress who brought Vivian Westwood to life. And that's yes. one of my yeah. favorite performances yeah. in the whole show. This is, by and large, is based on the memories of Steve Jones, who was the guitarist mm-hmm. and one of the founders of the Sex Pistols. And so it's really filtered through his perspective. It's He is the protagonist, which is interesting because they've done multiple films about the pistols and it's usually focused on john lydon uh who did not want to participate on this and took them to court because he's a professional contrarian that's just kind of his thing uh but yeah this is kind of a nice way of shedding (laughs) light on some of the other members of the band (laughs) yeah Yeah. he has never shed that shtick i have to give it it to him he's held it for a long time yeah but he's become a hard right winger in recent years that's amazing to me for the silver jubilee they released god save the queen you know she ain't no human being and now he's writing op-eds going oh yeah i like the queen she's cool you know for the diamond jubilee but it's not going to stop them from re-releasing the single again what do you do this time around for the platinum he released they're releasing the single again again. they always (laughs) re-release god save the queen multiple (laughs) times and it always sells out sells out well, maybe now he actually feels okay with the fact that they called it God Save the Queen instead of what he originally wanted to go with, which was No Future. He hated the fact that they yeah. called it that. Well, he was right about No Future <laughs> because he did become a Trump supporter. So Yeah. If only in terms of punk rockers, that was a unique tale. Anson Boone playing Johnny Rotten. I'm like, wow, I want to check out this guy's filmography because this is an amazing performance. This may very well be his debut role. I can't find anything about this actor. Have you guys heard of this guy before? No, I think that this is his uh this is his introduction and my god, he brings it 110%. Wow. Does he come from theater? Has he done any theater maybe? Cuz he's cuz like that's this is un- he's really good like the, I you know. Yeah, he's amazing. I don't think so. I read an interview with him where he said I'd never really planned on it it was just something i always in the back of my mind really wanted to do and here i and i got this audition and here i am like wow god i i hope that i hope we see more of him and i i really hope that we that this is not one of those people who gets like pushed to the front of the spotlight and then it ends up not really getting anything better than yeah he just got typecast as johnny rodden parts i mean now all he'll ever be offered is johnny rodden (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> I, I did love his crazy yeah, stare. It was like my favorite even thing. Even when he's so... happy or happy, or when he's like, or, or yeah. you know, at his least pissed off. Like even when he's talking to the kids, he was like, "I know what auntie means." I mean, it's just like the same face. Like, <laughs> yeah, he was a little smartass, wasn't he? You know, whether it's in print or on air, he he just always comes off as abrasive. But yeah, this uh, new actor really certainly brings that quality. Which is essential because he's a strong contrast to the central character of Steve Jones, who's kind of like this hoodlum, this kind of kid who's from a bad upbringing. All of these kids are from like lower class backgrounds. Uh, it's a time in England where, you know, there is no future. Unemployment is high. Inflation is high. Rationing is happening. The counterculture is imploding. And suddenly you have someone like a Malcolm McLaren going, hey, you know, I think we can actually make a kind of political statement here and rally the youth, whether that art project is something all of those guys signed on to be part of uh, is a different story. They just wanted to be in a rock band. And yeah, this really covers basically their two, about two and a half years. They only put out one album and a handful that, that, of singles. That always like boggles the mind. Very short time. Every, Extremely. every time like, I go back to that fact, I'm like, wow, like to have that much of an impact just from one album and an album that barely made it out. <laughs> Out the gate. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, because, well, I mean, it was it was climbing the charts, and they were getting a ton of attention, but their song, like, their number one song was banned on the radio. People weren't playing it. They had to find very creative and sneaky ways to even get their stuff out there, and one thing that just, one thing that I really loved, I think, above all else, and I think there's a lot to really like about this, was that it shows that underneath all the mythos that surrounds the Sex Pistols and has ever since they first came out, is that these were just all a bunch of yeah. kids. Like 21, 18 to 21. You know, it's like... They, and they looked like kids. Yeah, they they were like 19, 20 years old. Johnny Rotten was living with his mom. You know, Sid Vicious was sleeping on his couch. One uh, negative review I saw of this was, you know, it's a great style, but I think that it gets lost under the, the rote cliche of the rise and fall i'm like well do you know the story of the sex pistols because they pretty much fell as soon as they rose yeah these were a bunch of kids who were idealists in a lot of ways but they had the whole world thrown at them and what do you do yeah. with that it's the like just the immense pressure of success that's true like we said this is too a very brief window of time it is a familiar story this story has been told many times many of these stories are very well known if you've ever uh, read up on the pistols, what kind of separates this from some of the other entries is that, you know, we have six hours to explore it. You have Danny Boyle, who is, you know, a very good filmmaker who's worked in a variety of genres, but has definitely proven that he has a love of, of music, a sensitivity towards that. And also kind of is from this era who kind of knows the look and feel. And one thing we haven't talked about and it may be a challenge for some people, is the aesthetic of this. Uh, at first I thought, oh, okay, they're going to do that thing where they start with, you know, a piece of old stock footage from the era, and then once that's over, you know, they're going to kind of recreate that look, and then they're going to pull back and we're going to get widescreen and HD. Not at all. The entire series is done in your standard 133 television format and processed to look like it's grainy 16 millimeter kind of greenish and underlit uh, look. And 
it looks like you're watching an old BBC broadcast. And that is the way that world looked, I think, to guys like Danny Boyle. And I'm very on the fence for that. Uh, that, you know, it's like that sort of grindhouse mentality. It's like, look, stop putting fake flicker and scratches on the on the uh, film stock. I knew you shot. I know you shot this See, digitally. For me, I felt like you don't have to fake it. What made it that gave it an energy um, that I found made the made the whole thing more watchable. And that sort of like that sort of I agree. lifted the the more cliche, uh, you know, esque cliche, you know, seeming whatever i can't talk tonight <laughs> the more cliche aspects like those made them feel more alive i think if it had been shot in a traditional way um you know it, I, it wouldn't have had me i wouldn't have been as you know as engaged with it as i was because it you know and it, and i think that's also very specifically danny boyle because he does have he I mean, he loves you know oh, we yeah. all know he loves playing with his visual with his visuals um and i'm glad that this that this wasn't a straightforward you know, I mean, with the, with the different angles and the cuts and, you know, the filters that I use, you know, I think that they did change. I was telling Melina, did they change a little bit like mid scene or, you know, sort of thing. But um, I think he did a slightly better job with this than I think Adam McKay did with uh, Winning Time. Um, yeah, yeah, I agree. I, you know, I like that grindhouse look too, but I think this one just, it pulled me into that world more. And uh, yeah, yeah. it does give it a quasi documentary yeah, feel. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that in both cases, this and Winning Time, but, you know, like you were saying, off mic, uh, Frank, it, they're very different beasts. But what I think that the camera work does for both of them is that it helps so that the world that you're in and the time that you're in never feels false. True. You know, it never feels like it, it never feels like costumes. You genuinely feel the I think the grime and the the track marks on the camera really help to establish just how dirty and kind of disgusting England was at the time and why these people oh yeah I mean everything everything feels like you need to wash your hands after you touch it and that's exactly what this world was like for these people (laughs) and that's why they were lashing out creatively the way that they were I loved that and I don't I was afraid it was going to be distracting because I had heard about it ahead of time that style I just I got used to it and I liked it. It's very much train spotting yeah, in that do, way. Once, I think once you hear Danny Boyle, you're sort of expecting something like that. And um, sure. And I think yeah, it really makes it a more watchable series. I really liked the way that they drew these characters. Yes, they're fictionalizations of the real people, but they make them compelling. And for all their flaws and their serious flaws. I really enjoyed spending time with these people because I really believed in where they were coming from. I thought they drew them that well. And you've got actors who are just having the time of their lives with it, which I think is probably the most important thing. That's what brings it to life. And yeah, I was, I was so engrossed in this story. And I normally, when I do this, it's because I'm not liking something very much, but I kept looking up did this really happen like this? Because I just can't believe it did. I was shocked to find out how much of this stuff not in, not only did in fact happen, but they actually had to kind of tone it down from reality. Yeah, yeah there's definitely it's reality sad. I mean, Louis, where yeah. they really kind of go for it, I think, is in the uh, portrayal of Sid Vicious, who is yeah. not going to make me forget Gary Oldman's Sid Vicious, but it is a fully committed performance. Uh, likewise for uh, the woman who plays... Who plays Nancy Spungen? Uh, Emma Appleton is her name. And 
like Melina was saying, you realize how disgusting this is. I mean, they're two filthy junkies who are like out of their minds and like cutting themselves up and doing drugs and are unable to control their bowels at various times. Oh. This is such a de-glamorized version. Junkies in yeah. love. It, it looked horrifying. Love too. Yeah. Usually, <laughs> like usually junkies in love are like, oh, if we could only beat this habit and then our love will save us. These two were all like, you like heroin? I like heroin. Let's like heroin together. And it looked horrifying, like a nightmare. Yeah, Danny Boyle really likes his really disgusting scenes involving toilets. Yeah, I'm just going to say that right like, Yeah, any second, I'm like, oh, no, oh, no, a dead I'm, baby's going to come in. Oh, no. Stranger's bathroom, take a dump I and mean, not dead even close the damn door. Up. I know. <laughs> yes. I was going to yeah, say. Yeah, yeah. And I'm going to lie in her bed scenes. after that. It's like, fucking hell. Oh, yeah. yeah. Now, it did. It did very much rush. It very much rushed that. Yeah. But I suppose it was like a blink in time anyway, since as we both have established, it was like two to three years time. And Sid Vicious, he he only came in at the tail end of the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. He never played on any of the poor Glenn Matlock, the one competent know, right? musician in the group. It's <laughs> like I wrote ten of these twelve really songs. Like that, too bad you're included. out. I know, I know that there was no way they wouldn't, but I really liked that um, they included their American tour because I, I, I love. I, I have oh, such not a, yeah. not a fascination with it, but I just find like that tour such such a uh, like um, a really really watchable train wreck. You know, it was the yeah. beginning of the and end. So watching watching mm-hmm. that sort of like implode watching them implode as a result of that tour that was probably i mean they sent them to the south yeah. to like redneck yeah. joints they should not have and, been but there I, I but for me that's always McLaren like but they loved that them like, for me like because it was like the final nail in the coffin and it was slowly being hammered into the coffin and it's just uh yeah it, it's, it's yeah. where everything like it's where it's, it's they're at the most combustible I, <laughs> it's, it's awesome yeah and Chris, christian lee's as glenn was great also I do have to admit, once we got to the Texas scenes, I like was like sitting there watching and like, oh shit, I know that place. Hey, <laughs> Forbidden Fruit. That's like two doors <laughs> down from Work Bar. I go there. Oh wait, they're across the street. So apparently they shot a little bit of the Texas stuff in Austin. I was just like, wait, wait, I know that place. That's on North Loop. That's like 10 minutes from me. Uh, so that was kind of awkward because I thought, I did like Frank, I didn't think they were going to go do the American yeah. tour. I thought this was going to be purely focused on the UK uh, but yeah, they they got out of they got out of the UK for a few scenes towards the end. Yeah, they even talk about the film that they did, which I actually I had I never heard of until this. It's kind of unwatchable. The great rock yeah. and roll scandal. It makes them look like tossers or whatever he said. You might just look like fools. You. I are mean, by fools. that point, Rodden was out of the band, so they <laughs> literally replaced him with a cartoon. It, it it's yeah. Oh, it's not a good. It's not right. a good representation of the band, but at that point they were essentially done. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. they were checked out. <laughs> well, let's carry that into our final thoughts. Uh, Frank, would you lead us, please, good sir? I thought this was this was far more engaging and dynamic than I was expecting it to be, and I thought it was going to be, um, you know, messy and uh, you know, perverse and decadent in its own way, and um, very colorful um, <laughs> and energetic and. It was all of those, and I mean that's the only way that this could actually work. This, I mean, you can't tell um, uh, a, a totally sanitized version of their story, even though this is uh, this is fair. This is sanitized at certain points, at a lot of points, I'm sure. But um, I like that this was no holds barred. 
essentially with them. Um, and I liked what I'm sort of like piggyback off of uh, what Melina said earlier. I love that we know everyone's um, intentions here as as characters, what they were about, who they were about. I don't really feel that there was any um, one dimensional um, writing going on here with, with regards to anybody that we saw within the principal cast. Anyways, um, that episode three with that with that one girl, I mm-hmm. thought that was such a good episode, and it was so. Um, it was, it was so dark uh, and somber. Yeah, and um, I mean, you you can't help you can't help but be moved by that that story. And I loved I loved those little moments of seeing how their influence like spread, like those two teenage girls who ran away to go uh, just to go and see them. Um, you know, the, this is like most biopics about artists, musicians. It's the greatest hits. It's the greatest hits of what happened to them. But it was told in a very energetic and entertaining way. And I think it got their core essence. And I really like the interrelationships between the four members, eventually five members. Um, And I love how it's punctuated in that final scene between um, Steve and um, Johnny. And even though, you know, there's no like, warm hug or anything but there's there's such like an understanding in that and that common ground that's you know as a result of this that came from uh this shared experience it was um it was great this is a really really great series i hope more people watch it um i don't know if this numbers will go up or not because it's already all out there so it's not gonna you know whatever but um yeah no i gotta give this eight out of ten children's christmas parties that you host and who else you would you want to perform for children on christmas day but the fucking sex pistols okay sure so (laughs) and for the firemen i don't like kids and i'm not gonna make them watch the sex pistols perform (laughs) 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 but hey they had fun so what do i know yeah that's what it's about marco Well, Frank's touched on something that I really wanted to talk about, which is that episode three is really great. Uh, There's also the episode, which you also mentioned, Frank, where it's told largely through the perspective of two girls who, you know, kind of get pulled into the world of the sex shop. They're kind of nobodies. They're probably fictional characters. But it is this idea of people who are not famous or will not be famous. They're just regular people who were moved by the music, by the movement, and were just you know, at that age where they were ready to do something different with their lives. And we haven't even talked about uh, the performance of Sidney Chandler as the young Chrissy Hine, who, of course, will later on become famous with The Pretenders. And where where this really comes to life for me, I agree with all of you guys in that the aesthetic, the grounding of it, the good characterizations kind of help this go down what could very well be just another paint-by-the-numbers biopic. But... I was so more interested in all the other characters around them. I want the Susie Sue biopic. Uh, you know, that, I mean, hell, the best band John Lydon was ever in wasn't the Sex Pistols. It was Public Image Limited. But all of these sort of famous, sort of infamous people are floating in and out of scenes. So when we actually slow down and have a couple of nobodies, uh, or the character of Pauline, who apparently was based on a real person, uh, to get the Sex Pistols story filtered through 
a, a, an unconnected party I thought was much more engaging and much more interesting and I really wish they had done more of that uh but yeah there's a lot there's a lot to admire here uh even if it is a little bit broad at times uh I'm gonna give this a seven out of half out of ten grocery bags you don't want to look inside no, of you don't I knew there was going to be someone's rating. I knew it. Well, mine was originally going to be like taking a dump on someone's toilet, but. So. I mean, that's the ultimate rating, though, isn't it? I mean, once you've taken a dump on someone's toilet, what do you think of my movie? Let that's me show you. Uh. Right there. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Melina, I... yay. Oh, I'll my show goodness. you Rotten I... Tomatoes. Oh, my <laughs> <laughs> I'll show you a rating. Oh man. Um, yeah, no, I, I agree with, I agree with all, all of you guys. I, I really love that we've gotten to talk about so many aspects of this. I was afraid we weren't going to, uh, because man, there is so many crazy, interesting chapters that we get to see through the course of this series. One person who we've not mentioned, who I really think we should is Craig Pierce, who created and wrote this series. And prior to this, he's perhaps most known for writing, I think, all of Baz Luhrmann's films. And he also wrote wow, Charlie yeah, Sager. But anyway, like moving on. <laughs> yeah. And, and I thought about that for a split second. And I thought, wow, what would it have been like if Baz Luhrmann had been the one to come in and, do, and direct this alongside Craig Pierce? And I thought, there's no way he could. Danny Boyle, I thought, was perfect to come in and do this. He knows exactly how to put you in that time period. He definitely knows how to make it authentic. He knows how to make his characters real and interesting and is not afraid to show them warts, blackheads, and all. I admire that, and I think that is what ultimately makes this uh, more than the sum of its parts. It is certainly a tale as old as time, but it is a true tale. And what matters is, do you make it interesting? Do you make it fun to follow these characters who, unfortunately, we kind of know the trajectory of some of their of them, some of their lives, and some of them aren't very happy. Um, but yeah, I thought that this was, on a technical level, really interesting, really fun. I thought that the soundtrack... If I didn't own most of these songs already, I would be going and downloading all of them now. Um, and yeah, I had, I really had a great time watching this. I've heard some bad things about it. And I honestly, I honestly think people need to, I think people need to calm the hell down a little bit and just have fun with something that's just trying to have fun with itself. Uh, I am going to give this... I'm going to give this eight and a half out of 10 punk rockers who inexplicably love Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> if you're a fan of SNL, you'll get that. <laughs> so for me, what I really loved about this is how it seemed to step away from the lot of, a lot of the cliches, like our main protagonist, Steve Jones. He's not an angel who flew too close to work and society broke his wings. He's so flawed. And yes, a lot of people didn't believe in him, specifically his own parents. But that had nothing to do with him having dreams. His parents were just horrible, terrible, awful people. And like the evil manager cliche, I love that they have an evil manager who is incredibly good at his job. Like that took me by surprise. Like, 
And I love that you all touched upon it. Yes, the Sex Pistols, you know, inspired a lot of people, but they too were inspired by the community around them, sometimes without even realizing it. Absolutely love that these people weren't born with guitars in their hands. They didn't know how to sing. They didn't know how to play. And they actually had to work really hard. That's amazing. That is so rare in these type of stories. And I know it's the truth of it, but still uh, loved that about it. I'm going to go ahead and give this one uh, 8 out of 10 cups of tea at my mom's house. <laughs> yeah, see, they don't all have to be gross rock star right. still psychopath still ratings. <laughs> right? Yeah. If you open that door, you're not invited over for tea with my mum anymore. I do love your mum. 